I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I am Jim Arrowwood. And this is our listener feedback shoe. Shoe. Yeah, shoe. This is the shoe. <laughs> this is the shoe. This is the listener feedback. Who do you feedback. think you are, Ed Sullivan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, a really big shoe. <laughs> well, This is our listener feedback show for Frank Herbert's Dune, the original book that started it all. Uh, we have just gotten right into, uh, just got finished recording our review of the book, and we're ready for your listener feedback. So, to start off the show, a couple announcements. First, I want to say congratulations to Rick Tetrolt. I hope I'm saying that right, Rick. Uh, he won the contest to get a hardcover copy of Dune. Uh, the parameters were to send in a voicemail. And he did so, and we'll get to that a little bit later. So congratulations, Rick. Way to go. Right. And uh, for next month, if they want to get uh, Dune Messiah, my understanding is you have another contest for them. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to get Dune Messiah, a hardcover version of the 80s uh, edition, our contest is, is this. You need to leave a review on iTunes for our podcast, and that will enter you in. To the and cop, copy us on that. Yeah, let us know. Let us know that you did so. Uh, I mean, I'll, I will check it beforehand, but please let us know that you did so, that you're interested. And again, this contest is for people within the United States. I'm sorry, guys who are across the pond, uh, but it's just a little too much to, to expensive-wise to, to ship over there. Um, yeah. Um, also, uh, we do have a new phone number, so if you are going to call into the show – uh, like, like Rick did. Um, the new number is 1260577chat, 1260577-2428. Yep. And that's a Google Voice, uh, number. So we hope to hear from you there. Uh, one other thing to announce is we will be hosting two movie scre- screenings. Yes. Uh, we are going to be hosting David Lynch's Dune. On June 15th, Father's Day, at Penn Cinema in Lidditz, Pennsylvania. And what's awesome about this is this is – we're going to be seeing Dune on the big screen. Yeah. yeah. Like, in 1984, I was not really going to movies out by myself, and I certainly wasn't seeing L- Dune in theaters. I certainly wasn't. I don't think I was I was leaving the house by myself at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could have biked there. Right? <laughs> uh but yeah, we'll be hosting a discussion immediately afterwards. And if you can't make it, don't worry. We will record it and release it as a special feature. 
along those lines, and another very exciting thing, we will be hosting a screening of Jodorowsky's Dune on June 18th. That's a Wednesday at 6 p.m. at um, Zotropolis Art House in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a great place. Uh, we're going to have a good conversation right after the movie. Should be a lot of fun. Good evening. So, moving on to our listener feedback. Jim, I think that you have our, our, our final announcement here. Yes. Uh, we appeared, the three of us, appeared on uh, the simply syndicated Admiral's Table uh, from Starbase 66, which happens to be hosted by Rick Tetral, whom those of us who listen to his podcast lovingly know as Admiral Marius. <laughs> uh, he is the commander of the Starbase, and he records a mostly regular podcast that deals with science fiction and fantasy and and lots of genre fiction uh and features news from from NASA and that he always has some uh guest hosts with him that are really fun to listen to it's a good podcast and uh we we got to spend some time with him and uh he released that episode just not too long ago uh you can hear that uh by going to simplysyndicated.com backslash AT Dune Saga podcast. And you can hear the three of us on uh, on Rick's show. Yeah. If, I think there's a dash between the at Dune Saga and podcast words. So just sure. so you know that. You yes. Know. And the AT stands for Admiral's Table. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was really nice that we, we actually covered a lot of things that um, – you know, we don't talk about on the show about a little bit of the history of of the show itself and some other aspects of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was it was a good talk. I mean, if you heard our very first episode, we had a similar discussion. But now that we've been doing this for seven months, our outlook is uh, a bit brighter. Yeah, Roland said he listened I, and he liked it. So great, thanks, Roland. Yeah, yeah great. We were well, on for about thirty thirty four minutes, and we crammed a lot of stuff into that short amount of time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> um, so, uh, I guess, uh, one news story came down through that, uh, we're going to have be waiting a little bit of time before we get our next book from Brian and Kevin. But we did say we, uh, we discovered, Jim discovered, I don't know if I knew that there were short stories also written in this universe. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like we're going to have some podcast material out of some short stories. And, um, the the first couple are all available for free as PDFs online, and then the rest you can buy uh, in um, various books. Yeah, yeah. So they were. Uh, so it was. It was. Some of you in the chat room may have read this, but the Hunting Harkonnens, the Faces of a Martyr, the Whipping Mech, the Whisper of Caledon Seas, and these are all short stories. And then uh, available to buy was the Road to Dune. Uh, that's available from the Dune website. Um, also, Wed Wed Wedding Sink, Sea Child, and The Treasure Sand are all available in another uh, another book as well. So these are short stories that kind of play into the Dune universe that we might have to read and do a podcast on eventually. Yeah, I have The Road to Dune. I thought that some of these were included in that, but I don't know a lot about it. So. Yeah. So anyways, these are – I wasn't aware that there were short stories written in by by these guys. But. Yeah. So, so it's uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson that did it? Not all of them. Some of them are by Frank Herbert himself. Okay. Like, Very cool. Like mm -hmm. the Road to Dune was Frank Herbert. Right. Yeah. And the upcoming Orange Catholic Bible and Princess Erlen books written by David Moulton, Scott Herzog, and Jim Arrowwood. Yeah, yeah. Got, got it. Right. There. <laughs> right, 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 right. 
<laughs> so, uh, David, you were going to talk last last month. We had a poll. What was this poll about? The poll was: Would you rather, or would you take Melange to uh, see the future and the, or the past, or would you take it to live longer slash general use? Now, I just put this poll up today. <laughs> so, oh, I, so maybe this poll needs to run another month. Yeah, what I'm thinking is maybe we'll run the polls on our main episode. Because, um, you know, we record these in the same night. So it's only about half, of, it's like a week and a half, uh, till, till we're looking at the results. So if we, um, if we give it a full month on the main episode, I think that might be better. All right. Sounds so good. We'll do that. Uh, the poll is up on our Facebook page. It's also in the show notes for, um, the listener feedback show for House Carino. Oh, very good. Very so, good. So, uh, I know what I would want to do. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and talk to talk about that. We will, we will. I did check in on our poll before, and the graphic had changed very drastically. It was now thirty three percent Guild Navigator, and the rest was uh, so basically what we were kind of represented that yeah. night. So yep. mm-hmm. that's right. Cool. Well, Jim, why don't you go ahead and give us some feedback that Roland, who's in the chat room, gave us about Dune? Okay, I'll do my best. It says, Hi, David, Scott, and Jim. Reading Frank Herbert is like reading poetry. I enjoy his writing style as much as the story he writes. Not only do I give this book a five out of five, but it is one of my favorite books of all time. While I don't want to say I agree with those who are very critical of Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, I do feel as though I now understand where they're coming from. I really enjoyed that this book was much more focused on a few individuals rather than multiple storylines. I also enjoyed glimpses into the characters' thoughts that I don't remember seeing in the House or Legend series. Also, unlike any of the books we've read so far, I felt the chapter quotes were integral to the storyline. We get to know Irulan and Shaddam through these quotes. And this knowledge pays off in the last chapter. Having the background knowledge of the house books affects several moments in Dune. Lietkind's death in particular was much more moving knowing his background. There were a few things that surprised about this book. Number one, I was surprised that Duncan Idaho didn't play a bigger role. I realize he will later on. Number two, I was surprised the Atreides had no allies in the Landsrad especially after the events of House Carino. Number three, I was surprised Liet Kynes was willing to work for the Emperor as the judge of the change, especially after the scene in House Carino where he lost all respect for Shaddam. And number four, I was surprised at how few times the Thylaxu were mentioned. I am looking forward to reading Paul of Dune with the hope it'll fill in some of the gaps between House Carino and Dune. Hmm. Oh, very good, very good. So uh, anything in particular you guys want to comment on? Yeah, um, man, I almost feel like I go down this in, in sections here. Understanding where people were coming from, uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, I feel like I always kind of knew that, but I almost have more respect for them now after seeing how how there were things that didn't match, but I feel like it adds so much to read it in this order. Uh, I, I have more respect for their work. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah I would. I would definitely mm-hmm. agree. Agree with that sentiment. Um, yeah. What's here? He's saying. Um, 
Yeah, anyway. Uh, having the knowledge of the house books affects several moments that I had mentioned in the main show. Liet Kynes was awesome for me. Uh, number two in his list, I was surprised the Atreides had no allies in the Lancerad, especially after the events of House Carino. I think the problem was they had too many allies in the Lancerad. Mm-hmm. That's always how I read it, is, um, I think, from the later books, that that uh, Shaddam was overly concerned about how much power Leto had. Now, when he went to Arrakis, you didn't, I mean, to, to the people, it probably, it looked like he was getting a gift. So they wouldn't have said much. And then at the end of the book, they don't think he's around anymore. So that's why they're so willing to jump at, right. the, at the gun there. You know, it's not an Atreides issue to them right. uh, that they know of. That's kind of how I take that. So, uh, well, Jim, we, I- we saw, we saw in House Carino, uh, the links that Shaddam was willing to go to, to remain in power. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. I mean, and that's really what it was to him. It was a, it was, a, there was a threat to his power and he was going to take it out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you surprised that Duncan Idaho didn't play a bigger role? Uh, I guess you had, you had I, read the, you I knew, knew the, you knew the book for me, for me, uh, I was sad he got killed off. I mean, here he is a freaking sword master. You don't just go around knocking off a sword master. You well, it took a bunch of starter card to do it. Though. Exactly. Yeah. He says something. <laughs> yeah. I think that I was more surprised, you know, in the future, how big of a part he plays hmm. from how small it was to here. Right. Um, I don't think that, I don't think Frank Herbert had the Telexo like flushed out in his mind yet when he wrote this. It's probably why they were so small. Right. Uh, <clears throat> the key thing, as I thought about the Liet Kynes is number three about how he would work for the emperor. I almost feel like the emperor just thrust that on him. And it was one of those things where he realized if he didn't, uh, if he didn't respond and take it up, then his position with the Fremen would be in jeopardy. Hmm. So any thoughts on that, Jim? Um, no, not really. I was thinking about other parts of it. I was rereading the email actually. (laughs) What are the, what are the parts of the email stuck out to you? Well, uh, two things. Uh, it reads like poetry. And yeah, it is, it is quite a bit more poetic, uh, more epic poetic than, than the, uh, uh, Brian and Kevin books. And the other, the other thing was that it followed one main storyline rather than jumping around. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that that is necessarily better. But it was it was different, and it was kind of welcome. It was nice to think along one line instead of trying to think, uh, keep track of several things all at once. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's just a different that's just a different style of storytelling. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. 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 I I enjoyed that too. Just being focused. Yeah. Even though the the reading was thicker and deeper, it felt easier. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Forlan, for writing in. And we got another uh, uh, so another email in, and this comes from Anidi. I think I'm saying your name right. And he said, Hi, Scott, David, and Jim. Thank you for the podcast. Just some quick thoughts. Well, more like personal recollections. I hope you'll find some of this stuff useful for your listener feedback edition. I first became aware of Dune in the early 80s through a T-shirt of all things. It was 
a promotion for the upcoming motion picture, just a simple blue logo on a yellow shirt. I had no idea what it was all about. The shirt was brought back from Los Angeles by my best friend's dad, who was a journalist and had apparently participated in some Universal Studios shindig. He says it was touted, it was touted as the next Star Wars. I was 12 year old, 12 years old when David Lynch film arrived in my native country of Finland. My dad took me to see it and he almost had us walk out. I wanted to stay. This was no Star Wars, but I was intrigued. From the moment they laid eyes on the Bene Gesserit, the Space and Guild, and the Guild Navigator, it was clear I had never seen anything like this before. I became obsessed with this weird new universe and its worlds, Gidi Prime, Kayaten, and of course, Arrakis. I thought I bought the novel soon after seeing the film. There was no finished translation available, so I purchased the English language edition, this was as was a slick film tie-in with a movie poster of the twin moons over the, the desert landscape on the cover. Even though my language skills were rudimentary at best, along with watching MTV, Dune was how I learned English. The novel was a mix of politics, religion, and geology. It was clear I was in over my preteen head. <laughs> Yet all these adult themes resonated with me like myth resonates. With the fantastic, there is something very real. I try my best to understand the narrative, mostly failing miserably. I also remember reading a beautiful Bill uh, Sienkiewicz uh, graphic novel at the time. Years later, I returned to Dune with a better understanding of both the language and the themes. The fascination was still there. Dune is essentially about what it means to be a human being. Our every noble aspect, every loathsome quality stretched to its most logical or most absurd conclusion. It studies human societies, individualities and spirituality. Even the aliens were us. Bene Gesserit, Space and Guild, Mentas, etc. Later, I visited Arrakis on and off, and there was a computer game, Dune 2000. I remember playing a lot. When Bryant Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson's Prelude to Dune trilogy came out, I read those books, but I must say I found them lacking in the mystical, mythical quality of the original series. But at the same time, I was glad Dune was back. Sci-Fi Channel made their version of Dune, taking a decidedly different route from Lynch, Nice addition to the franchise. I know you're focusing on the novels, but how about devoting an episode for the film and television visions, uh, visions, versions or visions of Dune, including the ones that didn't happen? Jodorowsky's version and the discarded Peter Berg, possibly upcoming Peter Morrill version. The Lynch film if oft, is often lamb-blasted, but in many ways, the world of mythical high-weirdness he created matched Herbert's vision in spirit, if not in word. What Herbert created with words, Lynch created with images. One can only imagine what, what, what that Chilean shaman Jodorowsky could have accomplished with the source material. Your podcast has re-sparked my interest in Anderson and Herbert works, and I decided to give them another chance, starting with the butler and jihad. The sleeper must awaken. Eh, yours, Anidi Pesanen. Is it Pesanen? Pesanen. Yeah, Pesanen, yeah. I believe. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. Well, there's a lot in this email, and thank you so much for giving us your story. It's, it's fascinating. And just right off the bat, and we've been hinting at this, if you've been listening to our shows, we are going to talk about the movies and the miniseries. Yep. So we're definitely getting there. Yep. 
we're we're oh. going to to review the movies the next episode, and yep. then about three episodes later, we'll do the miniseries. The yeah, and what's series. up with this Peter Morrill version? Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm going to have to look that we'll up. To do a little bit of research, yeah. I discovered Peter Berg. Uh, well, it's Pierre Morrill. Oh, oh, Pierre Morrill. Sorry. Yeah. What did I say it was? Peter? Peter. Yeah, I'm sorry. Berg and Pierre Morrill. It's just yeah. late night um, <laughs> recording this ad. Um, so, uh, man, there's a lot of what he said that I liked. I mean, uh, Jim, I think you highlighted this quote. Do you want to read this quote? That he uh, Just reread the quote again. Uh, Dune is essentially about what it means to be a human being. Our very noble aspect, every, excuse me. Our every noble aspect, every loathsome quality stretched to its most logical or most absurd conclusion. It studies human societies, individuality, spirituality, even the aliens were us. Benny Gesserit, Spacing Guild, Mentats, etc. I think this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that really sums up. Yeah. Dune. I think some question yes. came up in a, in a previous, are there any aliens? And that's just it. We are. The aliens in this universe. Uh, unless you go to the animals. Yeah, yeah, unless you go to the animals. Yeah. Unless you go to the yeah. animals. And I've got to say, Anita, you, your command of English is outstanding. Yeah, yeah. at least in this written form, is beautiful. So He was yes. one of our new Twitter followers uh, in this last month, and he sent out a tweet saying he was spending the day listening to our show, and I said, I want to hear your thoughts. So I'm very great, grateful that you... Uh, Sent them into us. So yeah, thank, abso- thank you absolutely. Much. And thank you for following us on Twitter. Yeah. Anything else you want to say just about his, his awesome email here? Well, Crunk Lord here says in the chat, he says, I say to give it to David Fincher. Uh, and maybe I'm handing in my geek cred, but I don't know who he is. So. <laughs> yeah, me neither. So, Jim, uh, David Fincher? I uh, don't know anything about him. Yeah, um, I, I recognize yeah. the name. I just don't know what he's done. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, give it to J.J. Abrams. He seems to be doing everything these days. Right. There'll be lots of lens flare on the sandworms as they go riding into the desert. <laughs> I didn't know they were so shiny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear J.J.'s a little busy right now. Better call Joss Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> as if he's any less busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so, okay. So what we're going to do here now is roll our first uh, voicemail from uh, – Rick Tetralt, and he called us in, or actually sent us an MP3 of his thoughts on the book. So go ahead and play that for us, Scott. Hey, Jim, Scott, and David. This is Rick from Starbase 66, finally calling in to uh, thank you and congratulate you for your wonderful show. It has been ages since I read the Kevin Herbert and Brian J. Anderson books, so having y'all's refreshers has been quite a lot of fun. Um, but you're finally getting to the book that I know very well, so I feel I can actually comment on that now. Uh, Dune is one of my all-time favorite books. I first was a f- heard of it in high school, uh, which was, you know, back in the Pleistocene. And I was terrified of the book because a friend of mine, uh, Dan Axtell, not that the name matters, but uh, he had one of those godlike intellects, and so... Dune was one of his favorite books, and that meant it must be incomprehensible to ordinary human beings. Sorry, my cat is being a pest. Big shock there. So I was kind of afraid to read it. And just like skimming through copies of the books and seeing all the appendices and things, I just was like, this this is way out of my league. Then David Lynch's movie came out. And I saw it in the theaters, and I came out of it 
with a huge WTF look on my face, and I decided that I had to read the book. And I can't say I liked the movie at the time. I didn't dislike it. It just confused the hell out of me. So I read the book, and I thought then, as I still think now, some 30 years later, that it is one of the greatest science fiction novels ever written. And I now absolutely despise the David Lynch movie. <laughs> it's just how he got that movie out of the wonderful book of Dune. I appreciate that Dune is probably not filmable. Uh, I've come to that conclusion after being let down by the miniseries as well. I know you all liked it for the most part, uh, but I just have yet to see a version of Dune that does the book justice, and I've kind of resigned myself to the to the belief that that is just not possible. Um, but Dune itself is an awesome, amazing book. I'm really looking forward to hearing what y'all have to say about it. Uh, I'm also looking forward to y'all doing a little more uh, in-depth uh, uh, examination of the the movie and the miniseries. Perhaps through your eyes, I might find a new appreciation for it. I I will say this: the casting of the David Lynch film, with the exception of uh, Paul, was spot on. And when I read the characters, in my mind, Gurney Halleck is Patrick Stewart, and uh, Duke Leto is Jurgen Prochnow, and Chani is Sean Young back before she lost her mind. Um, you know, and and still guard all that. I I really think the casting, with the exception of uh, the Baron, also that is one thing I don't understand about the movie is why they made Baron Harkonnen or Baron Harkonnen. Sorry, we have new pronunciations. Why they made Baron Harkonnen so disgusting? And that's kind of one of my biggest problems with going back and rewatching the movie is the whole Harkonnen thing is so revolting and unnecessarily so. They were plenty evil enough without being disgusting, um, but. You know, it was the late 70s, early 80s, and who knows what anyone was thinking at the time. Anyway, uh, this I will wrap this up as I'm rambling now, but thank you again for a magnificent, wonderful podcast. I am always excited when I see that a new Dune saga is uh, in my iTunes, and, uh, and I can't wait to listen to it. And I'm really enjoying your work, and I know, uh, especially, David, you are putting in a monumentous amount of work in creating these Dune in 10 shows, which has got to be daunting to say the least. So thank you, thank you, thank you all. Love the show. Can't wait for more. Take care and bye-bye. Well, thank you much, Rick, for sending that in. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it was great to hear from you uh, on this book and just in general as well. Thank you for being our very first uh, call-in. Absolutely. Man, well, just a little self-defense here. Uh, and there was no Dune in 10 for House Carino and uh, at this point, I don't know if there will be. <laughs> it unless, takes- unless you listeners rise to the challenge and you write it, David has promised that if you write something and it's good, he will read it. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, if you write it up, I'll go through it and, and check it out and make sure that it's uh, it works and that it's kind of to, to up to snuff. And I will read it. Uh, it just, for some reason, House Karina was just too daunting. I sat down many times. These things take me about three hours to write just because it's, you know, write and then re- re- rewrite and rewrite till you get it down to the right amount of time. Anyway, there will be one for Dune. Don't worry. You've probably already seen it by now. And it will be in the voice of Ed Sullivan. Just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you know, so he, he said a lot of good things and he did mention uh, uh, and something that he brought up. He's convinced that Dune is unfilmable. <sighs> you know. What do you think about that? 
Jim, how about you? I I I lost David for words here. <laughs> you know, I I've often thought the same thing. Um, that it, it, there's too much there. Um, especially when you get into the heads of some of the characters, it 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 just won't it won't come out right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, the, and as Rick said, it was the early eighties and the battle scenes were, were, there was a lot of battle scenes in the movie that didn't appear in the book and a lot of other things that, that I, I kind of hesitate to discuss since we're going to be watching the movie. Right. Uh, one thing, one thing that, that I have come to rely on over the years listening to Rick and his podcast is that he, he knows, he knows film inside and out. Uh, he runs a drama department, uh, at a college he works at. And, and I'll tell you what, he sure, he usually pegs everything pretty well right on. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I agree with what you're saying there. Uh, I just want to make note that Crunk Lord had mentioned uh, while we were talking, David Fincher directed Seven and Zodiac. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, yeah. to answer that question. Yeah. Um, I think the only way that – well, first off, I love the miniseries. I think I love Children of Dune best out of all of them. Uh, I think if you're going to do it, you have to do the books in a miniseries yeah. format. And whether or not these miniseries captured to the the um, – as good as they could have, I guess it's up to interpretation. But uh, I thought that Dune, the miniseries, did a better job than the David Lynch film, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, make, if they're going to do it, make it a television series, series like The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones, and draw it out. I think that's the only way we can really get in the characters' heads and get enough emotion behind what we're seeing. I mean, I guess Dune in, in, in itself is not—you know—it's not that long of a story. Uh, as some of the other books, but if you could, if you could start off that way, you could definitely tackle the later stories much easier. So that's my thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah. And the one other thing that I wanted to say about what Rick said was about the cast. It was, it was spot on. Um, and I felt a little better about Paul, I think, than Rick did. But yeah, the, the Harkonnen thing, I can't, I couldn't agree more. That was, uh, yucky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, to me, the the miniseries cast, uh, with a few exceptions, they they're just like Irulan is perfect. Cheney, I, I love her. Paul, um, especially later the second. He's I mean, it's uh, James McAvoy, amazing actor. Uh, you know, they are just great. And the Baron, especially, I think the Baron in the miniseries is just superb, yeah. superb. Yeah. So. All right, Jim, why don't you take us into the uh, email that Chad Dukes wrote? Oh, wait, this is actually yes. a Facebook post that he wrote, posted. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> it says, hey, guys, love the podcast, but I take issue with how you've chosen to characterize those people who aren't fans of Brian and Kevin's books. You've stated numerous times that the issues that most people have with these books is simply that B and K aren't frank. I don't think that is correct for most people. The issue isn't so much who they are, but rather that they simply aren't great writers. 
This is not just that they aren't as good as Frank. It is that they simply aren't that good. I'm one of those people who've read the books by Brian and Kevin because I love the universe. Dune is my favorite universe in all of genre fiction, but I struggled getting through the B and K written novels. The Dune universe is one of the premier franchises in genre fiction alongside Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Wheel of Time, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxies, uh, A Song of Ice and Fire, etc. If you simply compare the level of craft between Kevin J. Anderson and, say, George R. R. Martin, well, there really is no comparison. B and K look like they are writing a high school level essay when compared to the giants of genre fiction. So if so you have a top tier, massively popular universe with a level of writing that simply doesn't match. I am glad that you guys enjoy the books by B and K, but when acknowledging those of us who aren't fans of B and K I would like to see more a more balanced and nuanced understanding of where our complaints come from. Booyah! No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. And uh, we hear you. And, uh, you know, these are a lot of good comments. I think uh, just uh, off the cuff here, Chad, I think for me, when I look at it and say, you know, we're doing a podcast on the Dune universe, we, of course – reading these books, you're going to come across very positive about the books mm-hmm. we're reading. And, and in truth, I, I am enjoying these books. And and I think that you, you, you hit the nail on the head when you say you're going to line, if you're going to line these books up against some of maybe the other greats or maybe series with deep and intrinsic storylines, you're going to pair this up with George R. R. Martin, Lord of the Rings, or... Um, and and so on. Uh, you aren't, but you wouldn't necessarily put the Kevin J. books in that same category of writing. Does that make them less uh, enjoyable? Uh, not for me. Does that make them maybe less deep? Maybe to a degree. Mm. I don't know. Um, what do you think, David? Yeah. I, I, okay. So here's here's my my thing. First off. I want to apologize because it's probably me who's been saying this a lot. I know I, I give a teasing tone when I, when I say that. Where that's, where that's coming from for me is I read, in doing the bad reviews, I read a lot of bad reviews. And it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And it's, it's what, it's what we've been saying. So that when I, when I say it cynically, cynically like that, it's because it seems like so many people are saying it without giving it a chance. Now it's not everybody. I acknowledge that. Also take in mind, I am reading comments off of the internet, so it's like... Everything in the internet is true, David. Every, you know that. I know, I know. And it's like the whole of the universe where everyone says, you know, like, uh, they have a bad opinion, they want to express it, so they're going to make it sound way worse than, than what. But So that's that's kind of where my sarcasm comes from that. But I get what you're saying. Be be more fair and balanced. I agree they're not great writers. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say they're not great writers, but in my point of view, it's... It's a matter of enjoyment. One thing that I do like about the uh, Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson stuff is that all of the extended universe are these two writers. You know what I mean? So you have this feeling of like everything that's written is at the same level and you don't have a roller coaster of like amazing writer takes on something and then just like, you know, someone who's not great, an amazing writer and then someone who's not great. See, you and I are going to have to throw, have a throwdown. Okay. We are. 
I mean, because, right, yeah, up and to death. Let's go. Bring it on, David. Listen, I, I, I don't think for me that I can say that Brian, Brian Herbert and Kimmy Anderson are bad writers because for me, they have taken me on a journey and lost me in a story and it made me feel and care about characters and experience situations that I love, that I cringe and I live. And if that's not accomplishing the story as a good writer, then I don't know what is. It's certainly not take, it's taking me, it's taking me on a different ride than Frank Herbert. Yeah. It, but, that in no way means that they are terrible or bad writers. It means that they are telling the story in a, in a different, in a different way. And so for me, I like Kevin J. Anderson. I like Brian Herbert's writing. It is a different style of writing. Mm. Um, it is a different journey through the world of Dune, but for me, it is just as valid and maybe in some ways holds more emotional weight because I get tied up emotionally what's what's going on a little bit closer than what I do with a book like Dune, which is great and makes me think intellectually on a much deeper level. Um, whereas Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert are taking me on a more of a, a human and emotional ride. Mm-hmm. So that's I, that that that's kind of where I come at. From I it. get what you're saying. I guess what I was saying is bad. I wasn't meaning horrible. I was I was meaning more. I don't even want to say average, but monotone. Like when I think about their writing, I almost don't have an opinion. You know what I mean? Like I love the books. I love what they're doing. But if you were to tell me Brian Herbert and Kevin Janderson wrote a non-Dune book, I don't think there's anything that would really drag me to go out and, and read that. It's not their writing isn't good in that sense where on the other hand if you would have said hey frank herbert or or um jrr tolkien just came out with this new book i'd be like great i want to read it what's it what you know you know i'll ask what it's about after i start you know what i mean have you read the other frank herbert books i have read uh one other i've read um something the hive the pencil something hive i have it at home i can't remember what it's titled title was i didn't like it as much as as doing but i still i still thought it was good yeah Jim, we need you to weigh in on this conversation. Yeah, be our ref. Okay. Uh, yeah, first of all, I want to I want to thank Chad for this. Uh, and I want to and I'm going to lean back on a cliche here. I may not know what is good writing, but I know what I like. Yeah. Okay. And 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 um I I don't recall us doing uh, saying anything disparaging against uh, folks who are who do not care for, uh, as he puts it, B and K's writing. Um, however, I get really upset with comments like, "I would have done better spending seven ninety five on a glass of acid to pour into my eyes." I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what what is that? That right, you know, right. um, I find. I find that offensive. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really tell me anything except, you know, someone's come up with a kind of a funny line. Um, right. Now, you, we have read some reviews that, that brought up some very valid points. Um, yeah. Uh, Frank Herbert is a master. His writing is deep. It is... Uh, thoughtful it is thought provoking okay uh brian and kevin stuff 
is more on the entertaining side. It is way more detailed, and some may say that it's more detailed than it really needs to be. However, after reading Dune and reading the first six books, I can certainly understand where someone has very high expectations after reading Dune and then find that Brian and Kevin's writing may be a letdown. Yeah, yeah. In I fact, can, I, I doubt... Can sympath- Go ahead. I can sympathize with that point of view, even though um, I don't necessarily agree with it. Yeah. Yeah. When they, you know, they, there are, I mean, obviously differences. Dallas Smoker in the chat room said that Brian and Kevin focus on plot. Frank focused on characters. Um, that being said, certainly what we got is a more of an inner turmoil of characters in mm-hmm. Dune. But I, I, I didn't feel like. I was walking through Butler and Jihad and saying, oh, I don't know who these characters are. I felt like I identified and had enough that drew me into a connection to them. Well, it was a, certainly a different connection than I had with Dune. Right. Uh, with Paul. Right. Uh, something that Roland says here is, I, I agree with Jim. The comments they read on the podcast were extreme. And you are correct. Um, in looking for bad comments, I had to look for things that weren't just the uh, the, the blatant I dislike their writing. I was looking for some stuff for us to read. So, uh, in the prequels, uh, after I think, after I think, but Larry John, I did pull more of the extreme ones. And that was basically because I needed some variety in what we were going to talk about. But, uh, I will say that a lot of what you read on Goodreads, if you go and, and, uh, check out the reviews, that's where I get them. You'll find that it's repeated a lot and a lot. I do take a lot of the, the fault in, I think that what he's feeling here, because I did put forth a, um, you know, in announcing that I was reading the, the bad reviews for those, I would say, you know, just like every other one, you know, and I had connotation in my voice that people, uh, speaking down on people who just, who just think that way. And that wasn't necessarily my, um, tr- total thought pattern as much as it was just, uh, teasing at the fact that so many people harp on the same thing over and over and over again in the areas that I was looking. And in knowing that there is this kind of divide, what'll yeah. be interesting is we're going to get to the bad reviews here, and mm-hmm. this is a different sort of bad review when you get into Dune. So we still yeah. have the bad reviews, and it's just not poking fun at the Kevin J. Anderson and Brian right. Herbert universe. Yeah, so. correct. <laughs> so... Um, well, uh, why don't we move on? Let me read a little short. Th- we have a couple short snippets from Ryan White that he posted up in the Facebook page. And he writes, the first one writes, said, I just listened to listener feedback number four. I started doing on my own before finding your podcast. I've already read through, through into Winds of Dune. Paula Dune skips between the time after Dune and before Messiah and the War of Assassins during the prelude to Dune time period. There are some partial story arcs. And the characters, excuse me, there are some parallel story arcs and the characters returning from the War of Assassins in Paula Dune. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that answers some of our comments earlier about yeah. what's going to be in there. And I can't wait to read Paula Dune. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I am going to hold off reading it for this month because I, I don't want to forget anything. So oh, absolutely. So I'm going to wait till. So afternoon. we're going to read the David Lynch movie now. Yeah, we're going to read the David Lynch yeah, movie, right, which you're going to talk about here. Go ahead. Uh, next comment by David uh, Ryan White. Yeah. So I read it about a month ago and then started watching David Lynch's movie. I still don't understand how you can have Sting, Toto, and Brian Eno all involved with a project and it turn out horribly wrong with weirding modules. 
The Painful Inner Monologue, and The Bald Witches. The book is great, and the movie made me appreciate it even more. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now I'm glad that uh, the book was good for something then, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. It's funny, though, because my, my opinion of the movie isn't very high, but I know that, Jim, it's really what set you off into the Dune universe way back when. So, uh, Yes, it did. I, I'm going to be interested to hear your opinions having all of this history now and watching it again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching it again. I've been holding off. It's over here on the shelf. I've almost pulled it down a couple of times. And, no, I can't do this to the guys. So, yeah. yeah. You know who didn't hold off? Uh, Scott Hurts. Yeah. Shut <laughs> it. Shut it. I heard that. I heard yeah, that. Yeah, I heard that on a podcast somewhere. <laughs> and Bridget Rathier said, I find that Brian and Kevin's books are a good way to introduce the younger people and also a good way to explore, expand the lore. Yeah. And I agree that. It's going to be easier to find a young adult and hand them, you know, you know, the Butler and Jihad and have them understand and get grasp and be drawn into the world of Dune and then introduce them to Dune and say, hey, here's Dune. Work your way through it. Right. So I yeah. do see that. I agree. I think the new, the new books are written more in our time period yeah. of, of, of writing for yeah, sure. Absolutely. For sure. Mm. Anyways, Jim, you have another uh, Ryan Wright uh, White wrote in again. Oh, okay. It's, <clears throat> it says, I read Paul of Dune and then Dune Messiah right after finishing Dune. Messiah goes into great detail about how difficult and painful it is to be Paul because he doesn't feel like his life is his anymore because the jihad has just left him behind and the weight of humanity is weighing on his shoulders. Spoilers, spoilers. Okay. Paul of Dune gives a glimpse of how that built up over the 12 years in between, the original first two Dune books. Why why was more not said about the pain and difficulty of prescience in the first book? I know that Paul was just coming into awareness, but being the K... But being the KH, it seems like all the stuff from Messiah would have been there waiting already. I found that reading all eight of the new books prior to reading Dune again really helped me enjoy it so much more this time around. But I still don't like how fast it wraps up. A little too fast for me. This is the one series that I read again and again. I wish that KJA and BH would put all of the quotes into a book and sell it. There is so much wisdom in each of the quotes, and it is not always an immediate thing. I agree with that. Yeah. You know what? Here, here's something that's resonating tonight as we talk is that people both in the chat room and in here and even us were saying, listen, the eight books that we read prior, they give a depth and a background that helps us enjoy Dune more. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a reason mm -hmm. to read them is to kind of get into that and understand that. And they kind of enrich this universe. Yeah, that that Frank has created. Yeah, yeah. Um, his his note on how uh, why wasn't more time spent on the, the difficulty of prescience? I feel I didn't remember that. So in reading this book, I felt that it was more prominent than I remembered. Right, uh, how difficult it was. And I think in the main show, I quoted. I said my, one of my favorite parts was when he was first like grasping this uh, in the tent with his mom on the first night in the desert. It was really hitting him. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and uh, 
This is the last uh, email we got in before we go into bad reviews. And this comes from Dallas Smoker, I believe, who's in the chat room tonight with us. And so, Dallas, you're going to hear us read your email live. And uh, he has a little disclaimer. He thought he emailed this earlier, but I won't actually read that disclaimer in full. But anyways, um, hi, guys. Wow, Dune is such a great book. I was really excited to, to read Dune again since the last time it was around 10 years ago. And honestly, I couldn't remember much of the overall story. Reading it again was such a thrill for me, especially with all the background knowledge gained from the prequels. Again, just what we said. The first thing that struck me was that I was reading was, of course, the differences in writing styles. But unlike a lot of naysayers on the Internet, I didn't immediately look down upon Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert. Of course, the writing styles are going to be different because different people are writing the stories. It doesn't make the stories any less enjoyable. That being said, Frank Herbert does such a good job of making the characters complex in a way that Anderson and Brian Herbert just weren't able to achieve it successfully. There are layers upon layers to the characters, much as the often quoted plans within plans within plans. The reader can feel the struggles of these characters go through and really connect with them through the story. Something I really appreciated throughout this book was that the underlying mystery of the universe in which the story takes place without the background that the the prequels provide, the reader isn't given much detail about the other houses, the powers that are at work in the universe. You're simply dropped into a political coercion that forces the Atreides house to Dune and then are privy to the spiritual awakening of the planet. The entire story is shrouded in a foreboding sense that something bigger is taking place, similar to the concerns that Paul has concerning the jihad, and makes the reading of the story really enticing, almost like you're one of the Fremen trying to wrap your head around this Paul guy. My favorite part is at the end of the book when Paul and Fade Routh have fight, as well as the scene where Frederick, Fenric inwardly acknowledges that he could kill Paul, but doesn't because of the sense of the brotherhood they shared. I give this book a solid five out of five. Can't wait to watch the movie again. Awesome. Yeah, he said some real good things here. Anything stick out as far as what he's saying? Jim, how about for you? Yeah, uh, he agreed with me when, uh, or I should say I agreed with him. He wrote this before we recorded. Paul and the Fate Routha fight was just great and uh i had forgotten that fenring thought about him being able to kill paul um that that was something that was something that had slipped my mind well you know in that scene makes uh knowing the history between saddam shaddam and fenring makes that scene all the more powerful. Yeah, all the things that he did for Shaddam. Uh, yeah, it's like you're thinking about the history, and then this instant he disobeys him. Yeah, it's and, and without that background history, the the full weight of that is different. Mm-hmm. It's like a passing thing if you wouldn't have that background. I believe it does say in the appendices that he does uh, join Shaddam in exile on Seleucus Secundus uh at the end of the after these events and i think that's in it out in the battle of corn too or not the battle of the house corn house of house carino house carino is hinted at in one of the in one of the opening quotes he writes from exile somewhere ah yeah 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 Mm -hmm. so yeah am i am i mistaken or does fenring and margo come back at some point 
I don't remember. They must because I remember knowing more about the character. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah. I, 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 I seem to remember when I last summer or summer before when I was listening to one of the later Frank Herbert books that Fenring was back. Yeah. Comment that occurred to me in later after our last listener feedback, uh, just to, to go back a second to House Carino, I don't think that I mentioned this. Is did you notice how uh, Margot and him? Uh, no, no, that was this book. What am I thinking? Yeah, it was Dune. Uh, she took on his speech tones, and his speech tones got worse. But they're also like you also discover that they're kind of a, a play uh, that they both put forward to manipulate other people. And when they talk to themselves, they don't have that. Mm, uh, uh, and he's, he's like he's so much more. And he gets in the cone of silence, and he has no speech problems going on. I thought that was really interesting seeing how he did that before. Now it's just cranked up and she's doing it. Right. right. If I recall correctly, though, that is part of their language that they have made up to communicate with each other. And those ums and ahs contain more than their actual words. Yeah. Oh yeah. That that would totally make sense. Yeah. I thought that was, I I completely forgot about that right now, but Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let's move into our bad reviews, and uh, it's time for bad reviews <laughs> with your host David Moulton. <laughs> All right, so uh, we had some new bad reviews. I went to the one star section of Goodreads, and I pulled out uh, a couple here. So April gave the book one star. She says, "I know this book is." huge in the science fiction world and now that i have read it i'm honestly not sure why i do not think i got it the way so many others did at the beginning i thought i was going to love it but by the end i was disenchanted dune is an overworked beaten to death plot it has its moments where i could appreciate the characterizations but all of that got lost in the sea of rambling history makes the man as they say we got it already also there are moments where I was offended, to be honest. For a futuristic society, women have very way. Uh, in a futuristic society, women have very little by way of rights. I can hear the He-Man voices now. Woman, be my baby machine. Rawr. Jessica was my hope for some really female ki- butt kicking in the beginning, but even she seemed silenced in the end. It is all about the politics and very little about the rights of humanity. Is this the point? Or are we actually supposed to like Paul and his political moves? As for the characters, Paul is a prat. He never had to work for anything he, he achieved, as it all came to him so easily. Harry Potter, he is not. He had sacrificed, but, but the, he had sacrifices, but these, re, these really came from other people. Oh, and what was the point of Fade Rutha? He seemed like such a useless character. What was the point of Alia? It was all rather pretentious. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. It's, it's kind of, I mean, a lot of these things, it's just like, it's hard to address because it's like, we, there's so much history. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we know so much, we know so much more. I almost, I don't want to come across condescending in, in, in responding to this, but it's almost like, well, you just don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you just don't have the research for the characters. Yeah, I mean, uh, does Paul have everything just sort of happen to him? Well, seemingly, um, not without some struggle and strife and uh, really working to make things happen. 
Uh, I'm not sure where we get the overworked, beaten to death plot. Yeah. Um, but if, even if you think Paul got handed everything to him, he had to l- learn to live as a Fremen, and I'm sorry. Whatever he got. like We, we saw this through Ishmael, and it's not an easy thing yeah. learning to be a Fremen. No, no. I mean, it's I can't. I don't even know how to imagine. No, and uh, I would have loved to see Jessica be a little, a little more butt kicking in this in this in this book, but yeah, you know, whatever. Uh, Jim, any any response to this? Um, wow, there's a lot here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, Jessica held her own um, when she was uh, attacked by Gurney. She, you know, I don't know. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we see more of Jessica's strength uh, in the next books. You know, she's so a fish out of water here, dealing with so much. I think, I don't know, I kind of give her uh, a cop-out card. Yeah, well, she, yeah, what do you do? She, she's on a planet she doesn't really want to go to. She's just lost her husband. Yeah. Her son's going through puberty and adolescence. This is on this Messiah crisis that he's going through. I mean, come on. I mean, as a mother, you have to be kind of thrown out. You give birth to a, an adult. a, a, a genetic freak that is somehow can speak full sentences and know stuff that she shouldn't know. I think your world's pretty turned upside down, David, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I love what uh, Bridger Rescue said. He thinks the one star is the most likely student to have been assigned this, re- this reading. And that yeah. sounds like when they made the Harry Potter reference, I'm like, yeah, okay, you're a different generation of readers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking through the, the bad reviews, I mean, it was back and forth. The, a lot of the longer ones were written by uh, by women, and I was surprised at that. I thought. Well, you know yeah. what? And again, women are not greatly or positively really represented in this book. Right. Got to oh, put that in the context. It's definitely of the a man's world here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you just don't see that in Frank Herbert's initial book. I mean, it right. might change in the other other books, but here, definitely not. Correct. Yeah. However, in defense of April, I would have to say that thinking back to when I first read Dune. Had I not seen the movie first, I probably wouldn't have appreciated the book as much as I did. Yeah. Interesting. And I would probably not have understood it and went back to reading my usual Clive Cussler and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. True. Huh. Well, on to our next one. Kit gave it one star and said, when I finished reading Dune, I couldn't quite believe that people enjoyed this book seriously. I mean, it's simply a terrible, terrible book. Herbert writes like a... I don't even know. Honestly, I'm still flabbergasted that so many people take it seriously. The characters are, at best, one-dimensional, and at worst, offensive. There are so many better science fiction books out there. I beg of you to not waste your time slogging through this one. I couldn't even read it as a, as a so-bad-it's-good laugh. The author's writing is so humorless... That I'm now going to re- I'm now going to recommend Dune to actors before they step on stage to prevent corpsing. <laughs> I, I, guess- lo- I love the last line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Roland just had a good point here. He said Dune ends with two women speaking about their importance. I love the line of that Jessica says, where you know the concubines will be the ones that history records as wife uh, <laughs> as being more important. Um, Yes, it, it, it does. So, um, 
in this, I get what they're saying about uh, one-dimensional characters. The, I don't think the characters are one-dimensional. I just think that Herbert's mo- writing is so smooth that it's it it just flows so easily. It doesn't feel like um, huge bumps in the road, so to speak. I don't know if that makes any sense. So it doesn't feel like there's a, a lot going on, even though it's that's what makes it deep to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, Jim, any thoughts on this? Yeah. Uh, the author's writing is so humorless. Okay. Uh, I completely agree with that. There, There is no humor in Dune at all. It is a, it's a tragic story. It's a sad story. Mm -hmm. Um, If anything would be one dimensional in Dune, I would have to say that the emotional content of it Mm -hmm. could be considered one dimensional. I I wouldn't say that the characters themselves, I wouldn't say that the characters themselves are really one dimensional, but they do. uh, There's certainly a different level of emotion that, well, again, comparing these to Kim Janderson and and Brian Herbert and Frank Herbert, uh, you get a little bit more of an emotional intensity in their books, mm-hmm. uh, but you get a little bit more depth in Frank Herbert. Yeah. Well, and and see, we have the benefit of reading those books before we read Dune. Yes, this person probably has read Dune and hasn't read any of any of the other ones. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So very true. Right. Okay. Are you, you going to read this whole thing? <laughs> yeah, this is a long one, and I picked it out because I thought it, it did a bunch of things. This will be the last one uh, because we are coming up on our time limit here. Um, so Jay gave it one star, of course, like the others. I did have a two-star one, but uh, this is really long, so we'll just, we'll just stick with this one. Uh, if this is the gold standard against which all science fiction must measure and be judged, let's just blow our brains out right now and call it a day. There we go again. All right. All right. Sure. Okay. Uh, and, and since this is long, just uh, let's interrupt and talk about parts that we want to talk about as we go. So we, it, it okay. much of it. As far as I can tell, Dune largely inspires two points of view. One marvels at its historical importance and world building, unique, fascinating, fascinating, complex, and rich. And the other dislikes the distilled writing, but does so apologetically because Frank Herbert couldn't help the fact that he wrote science fiction in the 1960s and that Edward Said hadn't done his thing yet. Come on, people of the world. Linear models of progress don't apply to good writing. Frank Herbert can't write because he's a shitty writer, not because it was the 1960s. The dialogue is clunky and the characters have endless internal monologues in italics that serve no purpose but to explain the incredibly obvious plot points to the reader. This is an, it's an embarrassing novice mistake. I think putting it in the movie is an embarrassing novice mistake, Mr. Lynch. <laughs> However, in the book, I think it adds a sense of depth. Uh, that's my opinion mm. on that. The plot also lacks any element of surprise. Princess Erlon, obviously oblivious to the concept of spoilers, spoiler alerts, Princess Irulan, oblivious to the concept of spoiler alerts, summarizes all major plot points in her historical vignettes, which introduce every single chapter. We can't wonder about whether and how Jesus Christ, Paul, will become the Messiah of the people because the princess has already told us before we've begun the book. 
We can't wonder about who the traitor in the Atreides' house is because Princess Erlen's vignette is all like, Yui, Yui, a million deaths were not enough for Yui. <laughs> yeah, I, we, we, well, okay, let me yeah. say this about spoilers. I, this is my philosophy on spoilers, period. And I had this philosophy about TV shows I'm watching, movies that I'm hearing about. I Spoilers don't bother me like they bother some people. For me, I can hear uh, something spoiled and I'm still fascinated by the journey. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I feel about learning about Yui or uh, you know, the other things, the other plot points that are kind of hinted at. Uh, Shakespeare in Romeo and Juliet spoils the entire dang play in the first 14 lines and then says, you know what? You didn't get it here. I'm going to tell you the same story in five acts. Stick with it, boys. And it's a journey that you go along for. It's a ride you go along for, despite the fact that he just gave you a plot synopsis and spoiled the whole thing. Yeah. I think that that's what Herbert was counting on in this book. You you know, here's this thing. You know it's coming. Let's see how we get there. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's certainly an interesting way to write, no doubt. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not bothered by it. Yeah. Uh, any comments, Jim? Uh, I wish Jay wouldn't hold back. Just tell us what you really think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, right. we might need to edit this next line here. Yeah. And then there's the world building. It's so effing lazy. Half the words are lifted from the Arabic and Arab Fremen culture is the result of a scavenger rampage through Islamic concepts, scraps of Buddhism, scraps of Buddhism and Frank Herbert's Orientalist curiosities all cobbled together into a cringe-inducing whole. The main subject of this book, the Sand Fremen, they use a bad word there, have been in the <laughs> deserts for thousands of years, border on religious fanaticism, and haven't changed a bit over time. They pray Salat can serve water because hello, desert, and wait for their white savior, Paul, to bring them out into the light, or into the shade, as it were. They frequently declare Muslim-sounding things in bastardized Arabic, and they are very upset because the imperial forces are preventing them from doing Hajj. It's unclear how the imperial forces have blocked all unbounding flights to Saudi Arabia, but we'll take it on faith. <laughs> <laughs> There was a jihad situation like hundreds of years ago, but it was apparently a jihad against computers? I don't know. The the Fremen also do this thing where two men will fight to the death and the winner will take the dead man's woman as his wife or his servant. Well, so let's stop here. First of all, he obviously hasn't read the Butler and Jihad because we're 10,000 years in the past, right? And this obviously fleshes this out a little bit. So he doesn't have that context again. Yeah. To kind of establish it. Yeah, and I liked the mixed uh, Buddhist-Islamic Orientalism into the story. When I first read it, I was like, it really feels like an evolution out of our world. You know, who knows? At that point, I didn't know what had happened to Earth or it was in the same universe, but it felt it could be either the beginnings of or something that came from. So, yeah. anyway, uh, is there anything that... No. Okay. Given the history of the U.S., I think it's hilarious that a book full of racism, imperialism, and misogyny was considered groundbreaking in the 1960s. Okay, right there. Scott. This guy, and thank you, David, for editing this as you read along. But if you can go on Goodreads and read this and see this guy's language, and then he's talking about having a problem with racism... Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. This person 
this person strikes me as an intellectual idiot who is trying yeah. to sound smart, and then he throws words like, like these that he's got here. Yeah. Again, if you want to find his review, it is Jay. He gave a one-star review, and it's under the Dune section of Goodreads. Yeah, you can sort by uh, one star, and I think it's on the. It was on the first page yeah. uh, of that. So the I other find, thing that I makes, find this utterly offensive. He's not. Yeah. He's not done yet. Yeah, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that makes this book unreadable is Frank Herbert's "I Tarzan, You Jane" approach to gender. And then he quotes the book is in, there is in each of us an ancient force that takes an ancient force, er, there is in each of us an ancient force that takes and an ancient force that gives. A man finds little difficulty facing that place within himself where the taking force dwells, but it's almost impossible for him to see into the giving force without changing into something other than man. For a woman, the situation is reversed. The greatest peril to the giver is the force that takes. The greatest peril to the taker is the force that gives. Now, you may want to edit this next little paragraph. Yeah. (laughs) Man has the mighty appendage. Mighty appendage does the thrusting action. Woman has the sacred place, and the sacred place is open for the appendage. Uh, Thanks for clearing that up, Frank. (laughs) It's briefly briefly saying what he said. Yes, in not so many words. Yeah. Male and female characters in this book align nicely with Frank's Pull in the whole view of the world. The men do the war because they have the appendage, and the women do the manipulation and mind tr- control because yeah, they the have sacred, their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they the are sacred place. The sacred place, <laughs> yeah. They are either wives or concubines, and having children is of the utmost importance. Man and his woman sometimes have tender conversation about all of this. Observe. Paul says, "Begin." T- be- Paul began tightening his still suit. You told me once the words, the words of Kitab al-Ibar, he said. You told me, woman is thy field, go then to thy field and till it. I am uh, the mother of your firstborn, Chenny says. Wow. The guy says, how romantic. Do we want to stop here? I think we need to stop here. Because <laughs> on, it's just, his language is obviously one where, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know what else, I, I, I don't know how to respond to this statement. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead. He continues to go on about about the the roles of, of men and women, but I'm going to skip ahead here to opposite the cartoon hero is the cartoon villain. He's really, really evil. He wakes up evil, goes to bed evil, and all the time in the middle, he has evil conversations and evil thoughts. Many of his evil thoughts are in italics, so we know exactly where the story is headed, because plot twists are also evil and will not be tolerated. <laughs> Please note, he is also fat and eats a lot. And he's also a pedophile homosexual. Um, <laughs> my comment to this is that's one of the things that I thought was, was overdriven in the, uh, in the prequel books. Just like everyone came up against the evil Harkonnens and they were just so evil and everyone right. had a Harkonnen story. However, I didn't feel they seemed as evil in this book. No, they don't. They don't. They're evil, they're bad, but they just don't seem as evil. Yeah. Uh, He says, I really have nothing more to say. I'm glad I took the time to wade through this uh, horrible book. I can't read sci-fi and not have read Dune. As I always expected, I might hate it, but at least now I have proof. Wow. 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 I think I picked a good one for that. It's not worthy of response. (laughs) It's, It's just not. Yeah, it's rubbish. 
Yeah, that's what I feel. About. I love Bridge, Bridge of Hethcris's send uh, hate mail to whatever his email yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, but again, if you want to respond to Jay, he's one star review on Dune and Goodreads. Yeah. So you can do that. So. Yeah. Ah, uh, man. You nailed it, Jim. He's exactly, he's complaining about all these things, but it's like he's contradicting himself and becoming that thing that he hates. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's wrap this up, guys. Yeah, yeah. So just a reminder, we'll be hosting Dune, David Lynch's Dune at Penn Cinema and Linnitz on June 15th at 3 p.m. And we'll be ho- hosting uh, Jodorowsky's Dune at uh, Zotropolis Art House in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on Wednesday, June 18th at 6 p.m. If you're in any way local, we hope to see you there. And if not, we will uh, be talking about both these movies on the show. So. Yeah, and we will record our conversations that we have there. Yep, so. absolutely, absolutely. So now, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it in several ways. The best way to do it is to email us at dunesoccerpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call our new listener voicemail line, one two six zero five seven seven chat That's one twenty six zero five seven seven twenty four twenty eight. Yep. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, as well on tw- as on Twitter at, at Podcast. Of course, all of this information can be found at the Dunesaka po- or I'm sorry, all this information can be found at Dunesakapodcast.com along with our live broadcast of our recording, which we have many people in the chat room with us this evening. It's glad to see you all along with us, and we hope to see you back here. In a month. Yeah, and thank you. I mean, you guys stuck with us for, what, two hours? Yeah. Almost, two and a well, half hours, so. Almost three. <laughs> yeah, almost three. So thank you guys for sticking with us. Um, and uh, I believe that's about it. So, uh, Jim, why don't you take us out of the show? Okay. Once again, for the Dune Saga Podcast, I am Jim Arrowwood. I'm David Moulton. And I'm Scott Hartzog. And may Shai Halud clear the path before you.